0: Edmonton, what is up? March 26th, finally, I am coming through to Edmonton. It hasn't been this crunk since Gretzky was on the ice. Edmonton, Canada, March 26th. Me giving the keynote, Q&A with you, the State of the Union of Entrepreneurship, Marketing, and Business. Information below, I hope to see you there. This is the Gary V Audio Experience. What up podcast, today's episode is from a sit down that Gary did with Milana Rapkin, the CEO of the STEM Music Distribution Company. They spoke about the music distribution process and why artists need bigger goals than fast money. So make sure to hit them up and leave a review to let us know what you thought and I hope you enjoy. I've already decided, I don't think my team even knows this that I'm I'm changing the name of Interrupted by yeah, because I just like reading the comments. I just don't. I think it triples down on something I don't want it to. So the reality is, is that show's now canceled, <laughs> and so now I just interview you know friends, people I'm interested in, and and I have a really dear friend here I haven't seen in a little while, so it's nice to see you. Uh, who we're going to talk about music and tech and things of that nature. Uh, like I've said, you know, some of the people I I know occasionally reach out. And they're like, hey, I want to I want to yap and and talk about stuff and I'm like, yeah, let's do it. So no prep, I literally just walked in and and here we are. So why don't you tell uh, the Vayner Nation, all the people listening, who you are and what you do and then we'll get into it.
1: Sure, I'm Milana, I'm the founder and CEO of a music, can you hear me, is this better? Yeah, probably better. Sorry, oh, got it, okay so new to this like whole podcast thing, so you're gonna have to teach me the ropes. Have you
0: ever done a podcast, Milana? I've done a couple. Okay, good.
1: But this is like a new mic setup, I haven't seen that.
0: Yeah, it's so it's we're very crazy around here. No,
1: you guys are very like, you got it all together. It's all set up, I love it. Um, so again, I'm Milana, I'm the co-founder and CEO of a company called STEM, and our mission is to help artists build sustainable businesses, and when we talk about artists, it's primarily musicians today, um, and the platform allows a lot of independent artists to get their music on Apple and Spotify, all the major platforms. And the thing that we do that no one else does is we automate the splits on all of the payouts to all the collaborators. So if you see a collaboration with a bunch of rappers um, and it's out independently, chances are it's through Stem.
0: Understood. So, up oh, for full disclosure, uh, I'm an investor in this company. We've known each other a long time. Yeah. Phil is in the building, which is always nice. Good to see you, Phil, back there. Uh, who's staying close to this investment? Um, and so, how's it been going? And like, like, and and when you talk about distributions, like, the thing that most drew me to the opportunity. What is it like? Four years ago?
1: Now? It'll be. Four years ago since I told you about it. Five years ago since we started the company. Jesus. So, or no, that's a lie. Five years since I told you about it. Four, four years, years since we started. Four years since makes sense. So, one
0: of the things I really liked was the YouTube ecosystem was super confusing at the time. Yep. It still may be. That's really my question. Has, you know, it's one thing to your point when three people, two sign, one unsigned, collab on a song and it's super complicated. I've learned that lesson. I had a song that I made for uh, Clouds and Dirt, my sneaker, with Gunna, Tierra Whack and T Grizzly, that was 38 seconds from being uploaded to Spotify and launching with my sneaker that died because it just died. Um, How's that been working and, and how has the YouTube ecosystem worked out and what has emerged, whether it's TikTok or other things of that nature?
1: Yeah, definitely, so YouTube is still, I believe, the largest music platform for streaming, right? And I think a big part of it is because it's totally global. Spotify didn't launch globally. Um, initially at least, and now it's continuing to grow that way. Yep. But when we started, the other, pro- the other problem I wanted to solve was that there were all these content creators on YouTube that were collaborating, right? And when they would wanna post a video, and it was two different channels, they would post the same video twice and try for create the views. And the reason they would do that is because they wanted to each monetize it. And so we thought to ourselves, well, why don't we just split the revenue from it, right? When you have apps like Venmo and all these others and make it so easy to send money on the internet, if you're making money on the internet, so why ha- can't you just share it? So
0: what happens now? Like if me and Phil both have channels, like there's one pick to air it on theirs and just kicks it to the other
1: person? Yeah, I mean they would have emailed each other the money. Unless yeah. you go through STEM, you register the video. Well, you can post it on both channels. It could live on hundreds of channels. We recognize when the video is being consumed, we collect the revenue from YouTube directly, and then each of you guys have your own account and you get paid every month.
0: So, what's the uh, what's the biggest learning you've had in the last four years of going from being an executive in companies? And actually, give a little context. What was your career prior to yeah. co founding STEM?
1: So, I was uh, one of the first digital media talent agents in Hollywood. I was brought on as an agent at the age of twenty one, which is ridiculous that they would even hire me that young. <laughs> um, but my job was discovering talent on the internet and helping them break their concepts into traditional media. So. Issa Rae, I signed when she had Awkward Black Girl, the channel on YouTube, got her book deal and then we packaged a TV show and sold it to HBO, which was now called Insecure. So it was being a part of a lot of the talent that was coming up on the internet. Who was the first person you signed, do you remember? Um, that's a great question. I actually- Was it
0: Toronto Tartar? <laughs> yeah.
1: I no. wish. Um, I don't know, but I've had really fun clients. People like Joss Ostrovsky, who you guys know as the fat Jew. Um, I actually think one of the first things I signed did was he, Did a you sign him
0: first or was he already signed and then you kind of no. got him?
1: <laughs> we signed him um, because we signed a Twitter feed called uh, White Girl Problems. Oh, I remember. That was like one of the early clients, I think. Um, and he was behind that? And he was close with the writers of that, yeah. Got it. And so we got connected to him all through that, that kind crew. of stuff. Yep. That was their crew. It was fun. But that's the thing, as I noticed, is that more and more independent creators were making real money online and real, building real businesses. And to me, um, it started to really dispel this notion of a starving artist, right? Like, you and I have similar roots. We're both from the area in our families, Russian immigrants to the States. And when I told my parents in high school that I wanted to go to film school and be a producer, they're like, that's a great hobby, but not a career. Right. And that crushed me. And so what I wanted to do was to help artists be able to not only build careers, but businesses off of doing what they're great at. And I felt like the thing that was really preventing them was just tools and more importantly, visibility into their finances. So the thing that I've learned is that it's amazing how, uh, how easy it is for a person to understand their business when they see their numbers. And numbers with a dollar sign in front of them. Yep. And like artists have always been told, "Hey, let I got me, this covered. I got this covered." Like, let someone else you focus worry about on the business. being creative and enjoy. Totally. Yep. And I think that's bullshit. Yep. What
0: was the biggest surprise to you, versus the ideology of what you thought entrepreneurship was four years ago yeah. to now? It's true realities now that you live in it.
1: Um. I think it's all about the people around you, right? how do you really align people with your vision? And it takes so much repetition to get people, I think, to truly understand what they're rowing towards as a team. And I think that, you, at least when I would read about it in books or hear other people talking about it, it sounded like, oh, it can't be that hard, but it's actually, I think, the fundamental thing that you have to get right.
0: Yeah, I understand. I mean, it's really funny. I had an employee that's worked at Vayner for seven years come into my office uh, last year, late last year, and say, hey, like like, super frustrated, and, and the person was like, what are we even doing here? And I started laughing, because we had a great warm relationship and I didn't feel like it was disrespectful. I'm like, I have only repeated 700,000 times to your face that we're building a platform to buy brands when the economy collapses. Like, it was like, It was like super laughable, right. But I think it's a really good demonstration of what you're talking about, because people when they are employees and you've been one so you know this, inherently, subconsciously have to have some level of fear base in them mm-hmm. that the company may be not telling you the truth. It's just the inherent human nature of the employer employee relationship. And so the re reaffirming the mission or what you're trying to accomplish, even if it's super simplistic. Oh yeah is oftentimes not uh, not consumed because one has to worry about themselves as an employee and is always worried that the other shoe might
1: drop. I mean, it's crazy even when you're trying to be as clear as possible, right? Um, clarity is one of our values because we're dealing in a business that's considered really intentionally opaque and we're trying to change all that. But like we at every all-hand show the whole business, the company How metrics. many employees are there now? We're about 35. It's awesome. It's really, it's a fun time. What about firing somebody? That's fucking hard. Yeah. Was that hard for you? It was initially because I didn't know how to do it well. Right. But I feel like if you're good at managing expectations and setting really clear goals, then by the time you have to have that conversation with someone that are that's about them parting ways with you, like they should already know it shouldn't be a surprise and it shouldn't be a hard conversation. Yeah.
0: I, I would argue that I'm still not great at it. And I was borderline atrocious at it the first 15 to 16 years of my career. I just hated it. How'd you get better? AJ helped when AJ came to Vayner, when I started with AJ, he was much better at it than me with candor, which I think is the main part to what you're talking about. Uh, just, Just wanting to be better. You know, Just realizing like this was one of the flaws in my system that I would shock people. Like it's nice to make it lovely and bubbly and awesome 24-7, 365, but if the the movie ends with you firing them and they're flabbergasted because you've given them no negative feedback, uh, that's not good and I just had to get to that place where I was like, just had to get to that place where I realized it was one of my weaknesses.
1: Have you ever tried to get someone back that you fired?
0: Um no. Yeah. Because I desperately don't want to fire. Like I really <laughs> like it's awfully hard to get fired in Garyland. Like you really are in DNF land around either your skill set or your personality and how you affect everybody else. So no, I've never tried to get anybody who I in the history of my life, I've never tried to re-fire, rehire somebody <laughs> I fired. I've tried to get people back that have left. Right. Um, but even that's been remarkably rare. Um but yeah, that was a real struggle for me. What about, um, what about uh, somebody who's great at their job but is not nice to the other boys and girls? How much of a challenge has that been with making a decision based on culture versus output of skill? Yeah. And where do you sit on that currently?
1: I have no tolerance for that. Okay. So we had someone who was an incredibly talented person in their job but was emotionally abusive yep. and like had to part ways with them because How that. long did you sit on it? And how long did you work on it? So that's a great question. The person was with the company for just about a year. And When they,
0: did you become aware of like uh-oh?
1: Well, when they started reporting to me. Interesting. Cuz when they cuz they had previous bosses, they were two layers below and those people sheltered that. Mhm and I had heard Inklings, but I hadn't experienced it firsthand, and when I did, I was like, I have no tolerance for this.
0: And so did you try to reform, or was it because you had Inklings, you kind of knew it was in the air, and you were like, fuck it, this is the affirmation I needed? This is the affirmation,
1: I didn't really need to sit on it. I think I moved within 72 hours.
0: What about the industry itself? Like, how's the competitive landscape? How is that helping artists, you know?
1: I think it's really exciting time. There's so many different partners for artists to get their music out there, right? We know about the major labels, but there's all these self serve platforms companies like Distrokid and TuneCore. I love Pug. I love
0: Pug. That's awesome. He's the
1: best. I think he's a great human. He's someone who I talk. Do you to guys eat.
0: cross over a lot? Are you we competitive?
1: We do. <clears throat> you know what? It's funny. There's <clears throat> the people who wondered that. People who assume people assume that we're really competitive with each other. Um, and I don't because know because the products are competitive not really like they do they if, do if, want you things know, the, cl- similar the,
0: the cliche like overlap totally what do you think you will overlap on 50% of the things 30% 80 I think 80? less
1: and less so we are not like his user base is a lot of both hobbyists and artists yep. who are up and coming yep. ours are our focus is really on artists who either have established management teams around them or are further in their career cycles I see so there might be a little bit of overlap in the early sure. days like I and then have, there's
0: preferences, right? Some people just like one app. Over exactly. The other. If
1: you want to pay a flat fee or subscription and you don't really need much support with an account manager, he's an amazing service. Yep. If you want a bit more hands on strategy support and you want to have an ecosystem around you and you're yep. collaborating with established songwriters and producers who need to get paid and you need help navigating publishers, like we do that.
0: Are you being used by managers and other? Like, are you a B2B function to a lot We're of them? mostly the, a B2B function. Makes sense.
1: Yep. So we are. Uh, embedded within a lot of the big management companies like red light maverick rock nation full stop etc and i think that's where we came into the market was when i realized there was an open spot there were all these services that were serving the long tail or diy or the major labels had their offerings for clients who wanted a major label but if you were an up-and-coming artist that had a manager that represented the migos or future someone like that and you were up and coming and you weren't ready for a major label what was the best service for them to use because they needed to get someone on the phone. Yep. They wanted to have a partner they can collaborate with but they didn't want to give up 30% and so we came up with an offering that we thought was really hitting a sweet spot that was open in the market.
0: Interesting. what's? whats Let's take it up even a higher level. Yeah. What do you think is interesting about music and, and creators right now in general? State of the union to bring the most yeah. value to everybody listening.
1: I think that the form of music and the purpose of music has so much more than it ever has, right? Let's talk about TikTok for a second. So the purpose of music back in the day was about education, storytelling, saying something and expressing yourself that other people can't put into words, which is why you listen to songs. You have that emotional attachment because someone's saying something that you can't feel or you can't express. I mean, you feel it, but you can't express it with things like TikTok and YouTube, right? Music has taken a shape in which people can make it their own and make it the soundtrack of their lives. And so video on YouTube has been a place for music to break through because people were able to share music video content of their own type, not high production quality. Like, things went viral because of the dances people were doing, whether it was Salento's, I'm blanking on it, what was it called? The song that he did. I'm not sure. The dance, oh my god.
0: Don't worry, good news, everyone's gonna leave comments about what it is, keep going. I'm sure you'll remember.
1: (laughs) It'll hit me in a second. I know
0: about the broom challenge.
1: Well, that's today, right? <laughs> well, that's there's all these songs, I care about today. Right, there's all day. these songs that went viral because people were recording their own videos, home videos, and posting it with the of music course. in the background. And with TikTok, it's like the shorter version of that. So we're seeing things blow up on TikTok because people are able to use the songs, 15 second clip, as like the loop and make a video to it. And so, it's an exciting time because now if you're a musician you're thinking about how do I want how do I want people to consume my music and what's the best place for me to launch it on?
0: Yeah, I understand. So and I think so, that's exciting. And what about what about creators cuz we've focused on music a little bit but I'm interested in your like take on creator revenue splits or like what what's how strategic are the top 5000 creators getting with you know, collabs and things of that nature.
1: I mean, that's the best way. That's the best way to grow. Is yep. when you collab, right? It's the way that you grow your audience yep. into Share a audiences with each other. Exactly. Yep. So I think it's exciting, and I think that um, the f- flexibility in the deal making that's happening behind the scenes is enabling things like this to occur. The friction starting to go away, which was exciting. Um, you asked me earlier, like, what's the thing I was the most surprised by to learn? Yeah. It's about, um, so I had this realization this year. We started sitting down with a lot of artists who started on STEM and were getting pursued by major labels, and the major labels were putting these insane deals in front of them with, like, huge cash up front advances, and the way that recruitment works in the business is fucking crazy, but we can talk about that separately, and so when I would look at these deals, I would say to the artist, do you know what you're giving up? And they'd say, well, my manager's helping me navigate the deal terms with my lawyer, my business manager. And I'd say, OK, has anyone built you a financial model? Like, You know how much money you're making right now because you're self-distributing. How much money are you going to give up over time to pay this back? And by the way, are you ever going to pay it back? Like, Will you see another dollar after this big advance? And what blew me away is that when an artist is negotiating terms between two different offers or looking at any offer, no one writes them a financial model. Like, no one does. Whether it's an up and coming artist or someone who's huge that's established that's renegotiating their deals. Could you imagine taking an investment for your business without seeing a pro forma? Of course not. Like, how do you know what you're going to do without knowing how much you're giving up?
0: So, when you're showing them that, like, cool, you're getting this check, but FYI, do you realize that you would have actually made this money in 27 months and then own your own shit and keep making money versus never again? it becomes a very different conversation.
1: Yeah, it completely does, and I think people don't understand what a, what these deal terms mean, right? Like The most artist-friendly deal is considered a 50-50 net profit. It's it's like a JV, right? Like I'm putting up the money, you and I are gonna be partners, we're gonna share the profits, right? Sounds amazing.
0: Yeah, except back in the day, there was actually risk for these labels because you really didn't know. Now, they're not signing people until the market's been established for them anyway. It's super easy for them to hedge against the downside.
1: Completely, and they're underwriting the risk the same way for someone who's proven a bit of traction. Of course, to the someone baby who's completely. I mean,
0: these are obvious before they sign,
1: right? And they have historical revenue that you can look at to underwrite, and they just don't. It's a bidding war. Yep. And so, you know, we announced earlier this year a program called the Stem Check, just because I was so frustrated that I saw people taking deals that they didn't understand. And the purpose of the STEM track is it's open office hours. Come sit with my finance team. I hired amazing people from companies like SpaceX and uh Yahoo Finance and other firms that are really well established with strong teams. Come bring your deal terms, they'll look at them, or even just tell them hypothetical deal terms. We'll look at your revenue, we'll build you a model so you can at least see what it means to give up 50%, 30%, 70%, and how does it look like when you're recouping against the gross, not your are share. The,
0: are the labels starting to understand that they need to provide more value than distribution or still not yet?
1: Oh, yeah. I think they're realizing that, um, you know, they need to bring these services in house. I think one of the biggest changes was Napster. And people talk about it because it created new platforms. But what people forget is that when Napster blew up the music business, people dropped all of their shared services. So the freelance people who did radio marketing that were once employed by the major labels are no longer employed.
0: You know what's funny about Napster? I was more of a ShareBear user. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember ShareBear, Phil? I still, like ShareBear was my Napster. Just, that was a shout out to all the uh, 90s tech kids. Keep yeah. going.
1: So all these radio promo people that you think are only hired by, hireable because they're employees of the record label are actually freelancers. So if you have money, you can hire them too. So at this point I think major labels for the most part are big banks. Of course they're really expensive, right? Of course, they, they are. do distribution, but you don't need a label for distribution anymore.
0: No, there's something called the internet.
1: Yeah, but what you do still need, and I think this is really rare, is an A like that person who has a vision for you, right? Like bringing it back to the Jamie Iveen days. Like, so,
0: so more Vince McMahon, right? Like somebody yeah. who sees you and like knows how to package and merchandise you in an authentic way to you, instead of making you do something you're not, and take it from there.
1: Yeah, because. That's a real partnership, right? right? And that's real talent development, but they can't do that when they're signing thousands of artists a year. Mm-hmm. Um so, you know, knowing that when we look at our business So if
0: you're if you're talking to your hypothetical sister who happens to be the next next Billie Eilish like sure. and she's coming up, what do you say to her? How do you see it? Like what if she's like, hey, Melania, what should I do? Like like give me the blueprint. What is your personal opinion? Yeah. Obviously you've built a company around parts of it, but there's a little bit more to that, which is why I'm asking, what do you tell her?
1: Depends on what you think you're capable of and what you need, right? What are the jobs that you need well, done?
0: You know what you know well, fair enough. But I think what's most interesting is that everybody at that stage reverse engineers from I wanna be the biggest star in the world.
1: Yeah, but you can get to being the biggest around the world if you have the right team around you, right? But there's some people who don't know how to put that team together, who don't want to manage that team. Most. And so that's okay. Go to a place that will do it for you. But if you're someone like a Chance the Rapper or a Frank Ocean or someone who has the ability to have a team around them and all you need is just tools and money, there's great options for you to go get that on your own.
0: And how do you think that's playing out for non-musicians? Aka creators on TikTok and YouTube and other platforms. I mean, emerge. they're saying
1: there. There's a difference, right? Like we saw MCNs, which were the equivalent of record labels, and they all fell apart. Well, they were
0: all over leveraged and got overvalued.
1: Right but they weren't really sustainable. But all No, these but Im- I
0: mean, I think the question becomes, it's like direct to consumer brands, right? Yeah. Most fail when things, be- most things fail when they're overvalued, so extreme and people are taking cash off the table, that's just financial arbitrage, sure. right? And then you have founders, and a lot of those MCNs have that scenario where once you make that big payday, the energy of building it goes to a different place because now you want to buy a boat or a nice house in the hills instead of actually building something meaningful forever. Um, to your point, the theory of an M C N or a theory of a manager or an agent or a platform can play out if it continues to bring value to the end user.
1: It can. You're right, but do you, do, seen you it. See,
0: do you see a lot of these people just becoming insular businesses themselves, aka when you know two to three meaningful tools around them and then six or seven meaningful humans around them, and that's the game?
1: Yeah, I mean that's where you see a lot of the big management companies were built off the back of a big artist, right? Red Light was built off the back of Dave Matthews' band. Rock Nation was built on the back of Jay-Z. So you start building a team around an artist in-house, and then you start signing more artists because you now have a team that can scale. So absolutely. And I think that the new, all the services that a record label used to provide, a lot of that work is happening inside of a management company now.
0: I think that's right. So what, what didn't we, t- now uh, as we're wrapping up, like what, yeah. what else do you want to talk about?
1: So the thing we're gonna announce soon that I'm excited about is that uh, we just partnered with a firm called CoVenture. CoVenture. And we, and we raised $100 million to invest in artists. Explain. So I think that we talked about how predatory the nature of many advances are.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And we want to be able to not only educate artists about what they're giving up but also offer an alternative.
0: Right, so because, this, because the deals are bad, you can go in between bad and zero and, and make them what you deem as the best alternative to the reality of the marketplace. Yeah,
1: more fairly priced capital. And what I think is- The mean- end. Well, yeah. It makes it, sense. But it's, but it's meant to be more than just like fairly priced. How do you know it's fair, right? Well, you have to know how much are you taking out, how much do you have to pay back, and how long is it gonna take you?
0: In essence, historically, like the best money lenders of all time built the biggest companies in the world, which is how do you get more aligned with the person that's taking the money? Yeah. Why, Why did banks do a better job than loan sharks? It was better for the person taking the money.
1: And not only can you get the money, but you can also get the resources with us.
0: Understood, smart money.
1: Smart money, money that scales. And we're calling it scale.
0: And so what? This is your play into like, is this a payback model where you're in the financial or are you trying to actually have a 3% of the back end of Eminem?
1: No, I don't want any back end. I want, if you want to take, if you're making 10 grand a month off your music on STEM, your share by the way, you can take around $100,000 I'd say Mm -hmm. and you can decide do you want to pay it off with 100% of your revenue every month or do you need 5K in your pocket to pay your rent and other expenses? And you're making a fee against the money. Well, you're contributing whatever you want, depending on how much you want to contribute, will determine how quickly you pay it down. So the faster you pay it down, the smaller the fee. I understand. And so you, as the artist because, or person And for you, taking from a business out,
0: standpoint, because you have the math of what they're doing on STEM, you guys have a clean data set, which allows you to give away money at low risk, and the lower the risk is, the lower percentage you charge them, based on how fast they pay back, and so you're just, it makes sense.
1: And we're in the collection flow, right? The money comes you're through You're in a credit us. card business. I don't know if it's a credit card business, but. Well,
0: you know, with a lot of data, you'll have a really good sense of like how risky the advances you're giving are, and you make small percentages in the scheme versus the big percentages that the labels are doing.
1: Yeah, and I actually believe that an artist doesn't have to take that big check up front. They should be taking, and we're incentivizing them with the model to take the money they need right now because it's a line of credit. They can take more over time.
0: And the labels and others will still be in business because some people are impatient and the thought of a $2 million check still excites them even though it's a bad deal.
1: And the alignment with a big brand like a Universal or right. an Interscope or Atlantic or is still Or telling your homies
0: back at home, like I signed this deal. Yeah. So it's brand and maybe the glitz of a bigger deal, which is less practical than something that's a little bit more financially responsible.
1: Yeah. And listen, there's always Makes people who make those decisions, right? Yeah.
0: There's but, somebody right now who just borrowed money, paying forty percent interest to some very shady person that's going to break their neck if they don't pay back in a hundred days. That's real life. That happens. Totally does.
1: But at least we've done that a have, couple
0: times. Oh God, <laughs> Phil. But he's don't still call here. Me. He always pulls it out in the end.
1: <laughs> but I think that for a person to start thinking about. Their business in the terms of how much money am I taking and what does it mean that I have to pay back is a concept that people in music just haven't thought about it that way. They I get think it. about hey, there's no fee. It's a rush. I share. get it, and that's crazy to me. That's awesome. So we're excited about that. Good for you. Thank you. It's good to see you. You too.
0: Where can people check out the platform?
1: Uh, STEM.IS. Is. Is. Mm-hmm. Is that Israel? Uh, What's IS? is? Iceland, maybe. Dot .coms I, still I like that we didn't know anything in this we didn't know the song we don't yeah. know the p- isn't Comments. I is is Israel? I don't think so. I don't think so either. It's not Israel. Israel's IL I think. I think you're right. This is So it stem is. Is STEM how you is. thought about it? No, it was because stem.com was too fucking expensive. So it's still being used. I still can't get it. Fuckers. I know.
0: Right. One, Good day it, One day. One day. I'm monitoring. This new, after this new launch does extremely well. Hopefully, right? Love it. Good to see you. Thank you. Take care. daily on uh, our favorite reviews. So Dean, take it away. Which were our favorites this week? Thanks, Gary. Today's reviews, wow, don't overjudge yourself and Rise and Grind say, arguably the most impactful 17 minutes ever recorded. Thank you for your consistency, Gary, in providing free golden nuggets that have the ability to change lives. We'll re-listen to this episode weekly to keep myself balanced. You are appreciated. And secondly, Gary, love the energy. The content hits home daily. I too find myself stuck at times and just when I feel sorry for myself, you deliver a swift kick. Your energy cannot be duplicated keep up the hustle thank you both so much for writing in and remember keep leaving reviews because yours could be next